If you've been with us these last few weeks, uh, what we're doing is we're doing a, a snapshot of the entire church and saying, okay, no matter where you are, uh, Jesus wants us to grow to be more like him. But how does the church help people that are going from, I'm just spiritually curious, I got all these questions, to somebody who's actually leading others to Christ? How do you do that as a church? So one thing you got to do is you have to kind of identify, where are we? And so we're into this series, and it's called Four Chairs. And you're going to hear over the years to come even a lot about the four chairs because we want to continue to grow in Christ. Chair one was just being spiritually curious, and that was Jesus when he said, come and see. In other words, if you've got questions, we want to talk about those questions, and that's important. The other one is follow me. I want you to learn from me. And last week we talked about what that meant to have the dust of the rabbi, that you were so close to the rabbi that there was a season of equipping and training that you learned all that you needed to learn to then move into service. That's chair three. How many of you remember back in the day? I don't even have these anymore, but these old-time school desks. You remember these? And I used to love it. You used to have the, the stuff you could throw all your garbage in there, and it was just, just great, you know, just a lot of fun. Uh, some people have uh, bitter memories of school. Others have good memories of school. But what is school designed to do? It's designed, supposedly, to educate you for the next step of your life. Now, we need to do that as a church. And Jesus said, as we keep moving in our relationship, we'll reach this point of uh, come and see, follow me, be fishers of men. In other words, are you willing to start serving for Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we um, dig into your word and as we examine and and follow and, and look at how you modeled leadership. Lord, help us to learn these life lessons. And Lord, we thank you that you're always willing to change to reach people. And so, Lord, we need to be willing to change. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Again, I want to highlight uh, this little book called uh, The Four Chairs by Dan Spader. And a lot of what we get into is framed really well in that book. You can get that online or get it at the bookstore at Sherwood Oaks. Uh, but I want to recommend that. If you think about what we're going to get in today, the key word is going to be transition. And what we're going to look at is all through Jesus' life, he modeled transition. And a, a word that I think fits transition is the word change. Now, I'm sure some of you remember this. Uh, I remember how uneventful this was. But do you remember New Year's Eve? the year 2000. Do you remember how big of a deal that was? Anybody remember Y2K? I mean, I mean, we were honkered down. We had water. You know, some of the neighbors had generators. I mean, we were ready for the town to blow up. We were ready. You know what I'm saying? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so we're all huddled in the living room, and uh, we're watching the, the, the ball drop, and then midnight, and everybody was still alive. You know, I'm looking around, and I'm like, ah, let's go to bed. That was boring. Okay, so, but have you thought since that monumental evening in the year 2000, have you thought about how many changes have occurred in the last 18 years? Online wasn't that big of a deal in the year 2000. I want you to think what online means today. There are 32 million blogs now. Digital cameras. Anybody remember Kodak? Anybody remember that? Yeah. Uh, my kids think I'm crazy, but we used to go to these little huts. Remember that? And you'd turn your film in. When can I pick that up, ma'am? Remember that? Good times, okay? Cell phones, 95% of all Americans own a cell phone. Facebook, 2.2 billion users. Organic food, this is great. 
1997, it was a $3.6 billion industry. In 2014, $35 billion industry. And now we have household names that were not household names in the year 2000. Google, Netflix, Amazon, Tom Brady. Okay, think about all of these names. <laughs> Romeo Langford. Whoop, whoop. Well, you're just as dead as first service. Okay. But I want you to think about what was, what was it Jesus wanted more than anything else. As, as these disciples drew close to him, they wanted to learn, how am I supposed to take that next step? And the next step was Jesus is starting to push them out of uh, com the comfort zone. Uh, how many of you here have a favorite chair? I've asked that before. How many have a favorite chair? Raise your hand if you've got a favorite chair. Like you love it more than you love your husband or wife. Anybody have one of those? Okay. So here's a cartoon I found about a lazy boy chair. I kind of like this. Here we go. <laughs> oh, here we go, Martha. To adjust the tension control on your miracle lift chair, simply turn, release knob, uh, clockwise, counterclockwise. Uh, that may be a little abrupt, but that's exactly what Jesus is saying is, are you in a, in a really comfortable position and you just need to get launched? Because you got to know the disciples were like comfortable. They were spending every day with Jesus. And let's be honest, he's doing all the heavy lifting. And they're, they're just soaking up the miracles and the teachings of Jesus. And then when Jesus kind of stops that and he says, okay, now you need to step up and start doing the very things that I've been doing. Think of the panic that they felt. But he modeled what it meant to be in motion through transition. Kristen Armstrong said this, three-time Olympic champion. Times of transition are strenuous, but I love them. They're an opportunity to purge, rethink priorities, and be intentional about new habits that we can make our new normal any way we want. Isn't that awesome? That you can wake up every morning and say, I can actually, in my life, move towards a new normal. But what that takes is willingness to change and transition. So if you're taking notes, I just want to share what they learned. There were four ways that Jesus demonstrated transition. And here's the first thing was the transition of leadership. John chapter 3 verse 30 is a, a clarifying verse about leadership. John the Baptist said this, he must become greater and I must become less. The transition of leadership, we see it all throughout the Bible. Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, David and his son Solomon, Jesus to his disciples, his disciples to us. I mean, we are in transition. Now, here's what I love about John the Baptist. From the moment he began preaching, he knew what his role was. His role was about transition. My role is to prepare the way, and then I'm going to hand it off to the king, and he's going to take it from there. And I love that. And Jesus said this about John the Baptist, the greatest man born of woman was John the Baptist. Why? Because he understood what this is all about. Leadership is hard. But here's the lesson that we all need to learn. We all have a boss. Isn't that true? We all have a boss. Uh, years ago, uh, Marie and I took the kids out to, to D.C., and we, at that time, they had just opened the, the FDR Franklin Delano Roosevelt Memorial, and I found this engraving, and I love this quote from uh, FDR. He said, <clears throat> I never forget 
that I live in a house owned by all of the American people and that I have been given their trust. In other words, I don't own this house. The people of the United States own this house. I live in this house and I work for them. And we work for Christ. All of us are on that team. And Jesus may be putting in your ear right now an opportunity to serve and an opportunity to lead, and that may mean transition in your life. Are you willing to accept that? The second transition is huge. It's a transition of location. In Matthew 4, verses uh, 13 through 16, we know that Jesus went from Nazareth, and then he went to Capernaum, which was 18 miles east. But it was more than just an 18-mile move. I love in the book, The Four Chairs, what Dan Spader said. Now, I want you to listen carefully. He said, this is why this area was so important. With a large Jewish contingency and a major synagogue from the area, many have called this region the Evangelical Triangle. It was in this small region of Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin that Jesus performed most of his miracles. It was a region of just a few square miles and easily traveled by foot. And I remember when I took this class with Dan Spader, he actually had this huge map, and I loved it. And he drew the triangle, and he said, this is where the world changed. This is where the world woke up to what Jesus was teaching and the miracles. And this is what, this is what created the buzz. And when Jesus went from there and he eventually made his way to Jerusalem, the word was already out, and it all came from this area. And when he drew it out, he said, and I've been there. He's been there 40 times. I've been there. I've walked this area. And I'm telling you, it's no bigger than nearly every one of you. It's no bigger than your neighborhood. And then he said, you know, you could change the world where you live right now. Jesus changed the world in that little area, and we can change our world in our area. But it's when we take the same transitional step, Jesus, are we willing to change our location? Now, some of you right now are breaking out in hives because change is hard. Some of you are struggling right now with a decision, a new job, or a move. And let me just say from the bottom of my heart, I know how hard that is. If some of you are considering a move, for example, I know how hard that is. Uh, when we moved here from Illinois, uh, moved back to Sherwood Oaks, um, the night we told our kids, uh, my oldest daughter at the time was a freshman in high school. That's a great time to move. And, uh, and I still remember her looking at me saying, Dad, thanks for ruining my life. You know, what a great Christmas that was. You know that? And we've been there, and some of you are there right now. You are praying right now about there's a transitional change in your life. And I want you to know that God may be calling you to move. And that's part of what Jesus was teaching them, that great things can happen even when we move. And then there was a transition of his message. Matthew 13, 24, and Acts 1, 3, uh, an amazing thing happens. I talked about John the Baptist, and John the Baptist had a firm message. Nobody misunderstood. Repent, for the kingdom of God is what? Near. And then it was over again. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And we just pause there and say how important that first command is. 
repent. You know what that means? That means you are willing to change your heart. It means that you're uh, feeling something in your life that's wrong. Something in your life you've got to get right with God. Something you've got to clean up. And you say, God, I've got to give this to you. It tells us in Psalms 38, 18, that uh, my con- I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. You feel it in your gut. You know you can't sleep. And God is saying, you're not right with me. And this is a transition that is critical. Are you willing to repent? And when you change your heart, then you change your direction. I love the story of Zacchaeus and the woman at the well. When they encountered Jesus Christ, they repented. And you know why you know they repented? They changed the direction of their life. Are you willing to make that kind of change? Are you willing to come clean with God? When I was in high school, uh, a buddy of mine, his name was Dennis Eck. He drove a Pinto. That shows you how many un- mentally unstable he was. So anyway, we were getting ready to go roller skating. Remember roller skating? Good times. Uh, couldn't roller skate, but there was a lot of girls at the ring. So anyway, we went, we went roller skating. And um, I remember when we all had our, our uh, this is a 70s, said, you know, the, the big bell bottoms, the whole night. So anyway, we were dressed to, to kill. And... Um, we're getting ready to leave, and Dennis goes, hey, we're going to take a shortcut. I'm like, and this is the spring of the year, and I'm like, I want to take that shortcut, because sa- I said, that's like a gravel road. He said, it's real muddy. He goes, ah, don't worry about it. I got the Pinto, you know, so uh, <laughs> takes off, and all of a sudden, he buries this thing, and he goes, oh, man, you got to get out and push. I'm like, you're an idiot. So anyway, I get out, and I can still feel the mud. I mean, he would push it, and I mean, just all over me, and I'm just standing there like a mud monster. And he goes, uh, hey, I'm, I'm unstuck. I'm like, yeah, thanks, you know. Went back in. And I remember, <clears throat> we were laughing, but I remember that shower because I just remember the mud just coming off. My guess is all of you have a moment in your life that you remember your greatest bath, your greatest shower. I mean, when you were just filthy and you remember how great that hot shower felt. In all honesty, that's what repentance does. Repentance says, no matter how much garbage you have, it's saying, God, can you take all that off? You know what? He can. He can take every bit of it off. But then John the Baptist declared that they needed to repent. Hundreds were baptized, probably thousands. And then was the message, the reason you're preparing your heart through repentance is the kingdom of God is near. Now, here's the transition. John the Baptist was killed. He was murdered. And Jesus heard about it, he withdrew, and then Jesus continued the message of repentance, but now he transitioned to the kingdom of God is here. And boy, that made all the difference. It isn't that the king is coming, it's the king is here. Have you thought about the kind of king that Jesus was? Uh, Marie and I, this summer, our girls challenged us to, challenge isn't the right word, but they encouraged us to watch The Crown. You guys watch The Crown? Yeah, two of you. So anyway, um, so Queen Elizabeth attracts her life, and Marina would watch this, and first of all, we're like, I would not want that gig. I would not want to wake up every day with that kind of pressure. And then I thought, that's disgusting. If that's what royalty is, why would anybody want any part of that? But what's sad is when they heard a king was coming, I really believe so many people thought it was going to be that kind of a king. Like this was going to be an earthly king that was going to rule over them, that was going to reign over them. 
And yet Jesus, the king, came born of a manger. He grew up a very simple childhood. He eventually grew up to be a man that didn't even have a pillow to lay his head. He didn't come saying, you serve me. He served us. And he wanted the disciples to realize, this is your message. The king is here, and the message is to serve others. The keys to the kingdom are right here. And then last of all, it's the transition of his call. John 15, verses 15 and 16. I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, <clears throat> I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You were appointed so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in the name of my Father, I will give you. You got to go from the, you got to go from your feet to the street, and you've got to go from sitting and learning, and now you got to go and move into serving others. You got to work, and this is where it all gets uh, hard. Now, here's what we know about Jesus. <clears throat> Every time Jesus challenges his disciples, he's raising the bar. He's raising the bar for all of us. So I wanted to make this extremely practical today. For the next several weeks, as you head out, you're going to see a, a line of tables in the back. And those tables are just opportunities where everyone, no matter what your age, you all can serve. Uh, I just want to highlight one thing you can do in the church to help one thing you can do on our community to help, and one thing you can do in the world. And you can do it today. In the church, we always need help, and we're trying to build our welcome and hospitality team. Um, we, I was razzing our guys that right now we have this gauntlet of men when you come in the front door, you know, we just need some ladies really bad. So anyway, <laughs> but we really, this is important. This whole concept and uh, philosophy of ours is come as you are. And so we want people to feel like you're coming home. We want this to feel comfortable. Uh, by the way, can you give it up for those who fixed our biscuits and gravy this morning? Can you give them a huge hand? And if you're visiting today, we do that every Sunday. Yeah, that's a lie. So anyway, that's just one way to get involved here. Uh, there's so many others, and you can see that. In the community, February 8th, it's called Night to Shine, Tim Tebow's Night to Shine. It is an amazing evening, and what a great way that you can serve in so many ways. And again, it's available. Just sign up. They'll answer all your questions. And then in the world, um, it's called Good Samaritans, and I love this, Samaritan's Purse. And you know, we have the shoeboxes ready to go, and at Short Oaks East is the pickup center. But anybody can do this. It's great to do as a family, uh, individuals. It doesn't matter. But you just load this box. It tells you exactly what to put in it. And then these boxes literally go all over the world. And for a lot of kids, this is it. This is all they're going to get. So it's a great way to just have a global impact. We want to continue to give you opportunities to serve. We want to give you opportunities to work. Because Jesus has called all of us to be fishers of men. I shared with you a phrase um, that you hear a lot, but it's true. When Jesus... Um, reached into these disciples' lives, he raised the bar. And he, when he raised the bar, what I mean is he was always asking for more commitment. Now, let me ask you something. 
when he would ask for more commitment, did more people follow him or did less people follow him? It was always less. As soon as he would raise the bar, they'd be like, I was really comfortable. I don't think I'm ready to make that kind of a transition. I don't know that I want to change that much. That's why Jesus invested so much in a few, because he knows as I raise the bar, it's going to be hard. But your life will be full like it's never been full before. He keeps raising the bar. Now, uh, my wife and I, our oldest daughter, uh, Rachel, <coughs> ran track uh, through junior high, high school, and college. So we have been to a lot of track meets. So when you go to a track meet and you hear the phrase, raise the bar, I'll tell you exactly what it means, and especially if it's a huge track meet. Uh, that means in the high jump and the pole vault, how they determine the winner is they just keep raising the bar. And actually, it's pretty exciting. You know, uh, as that bar, and you're, you just see these this athletes working so hard, and then the higher that thing climbs, you, you're going to see who's worked the hardest, who's the best, and it's, it's awesome. Raising the bar is where we all want to be. We, we're like, Jesus, raise the bar again, because I, I need to grow, okay? In 1968, uh, this guy, his name was uh, 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 Dick Fosbury, and here's, here's uh, the thing that I love about this guy, and a complete nerd, and he was an engineer of all things, full-time, and on the side, he was a high jumper. And he knew he could not compete the way that everybody else is jumping, he could not compete. So as an engineer, he studied a different way, completely different way to approach the high jump. And so when he showed up, he qualified, but when he showed up for the Olympics, he blew off the Olympic opening ceremony uh, to go fishing. Really a weird guy, okay? Shows up, this lanky guy, and he throws down this thing called the Fosbury Flop. And I got to tell you, everybody thought he was nuts until he won the gold medal. Now, let me tell you what happened from that point forward. If you go to a track meet, I don't care where it's at, anywhere in the United States, and you watch the high jumpers, this is what every high jumper does, the Fosbury flop. Now, you think, what does that have to do with anything? Sometimes what Jesus is going to do, what God's going to do is he's going to raise the bar of a commitment, and there'll be people who look at that, and they accept the challenge. And then you know what they do? They're like, I think I can do that different. And then they have the courage to do it. And you know what happens? Those are the people that change the world. Right now, God may be working on some of you. And he may be trying to give you the courage to accept a commitment. And you may have an idea that is revolutionary. It's different. And people are saying, you're nuts. But you may be the person in this room that could change the world. Or you may change somebody else's world. But you have to have courage to commit. The bar gets raised. You don't run from it. You run to it.